With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Hope everyone is doing well. It's kind of late spring. We'll get into summer soon. Uh, kind of a slow time of year when it comes to college athletics. I do have a couple of really interesting topics to discuss on the podcast today uh, based on some questions I got in my uh, live cues feature earlier in the week. One that I'm going to start off with in this segment is are expectations a little too high for Penn State this year? I think there's a lot of really intriguing things to get into uh, with that. I'm going to start off with that here in just a minute. And a little bit later on, <laughs> hey, it's always a good time of year to talk Penn State versus Pitt. I was asked a, a very interesting question in the live queues about uh, the, the kind of the hierarchy of college athletics, where Penn State is, where Pitt is. Can Pitt ever catch up? I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. I said I wrote what I wrote. Uh, I'll get into it a little bit later on in the podcast, but that's always a fascinating topic. I do want to start this week with the question of our expectations a little too high for the Nittany Line football team for this season. Now, so here we here we are in this little two-year window. Okay. This is the Drew Aller experience. <laughs> we went through the Sean Clifford experience for 17 years. Now we've got a two year window of the Drew Aller experience. And there are tremendous expectations for the football program based on this quarterback, former number one quarterback recruit in the country and him living up to expectations. Now look, it's not all just the quarterback. Penn State's got a lot of really good players and a lot of spots on both sides of the ball. So it's natural with Aller taking over as the starter this year and everybody looking at the best case scenario. Penn State's going to be ranked probably at worst seventh in the country in the preseason polls. I've seen them as high as maybe number five. You know, so you're talking about if you're, if you're ranked in the top seven, then you have a legitimate shot, you would think, of making a playoff. And then who knows after that, depending on matchups. Okay, but so so look, there's no question expectations should be high. I'm not going to sit here at the end of May and say, hey, you know, let's temper our expectations for the fall. I've got Penn State going 10 and 2. I think 10 and 2 is a pretty darn good record. Um, 
you can lose to Ohio State and lose to Michigan and go 10 and 2, just like they did last year. And that's a really good season, especially if you go on to a great bowl game and, and get a marquee win like they did in the Rose Bowl. So I, I have high expectations for Penn State, but I will say this. If you're out there getting ready to book your college football playoff tickets for this year, that's where I would say, slow down, slow your roll. Let's get a little realistic here and take a look at best case scenarios, not necessarily worst case scenarios. Worst case scenario is 2020. We saw that, you know, no running backs and just disastrous start. That That's the worst case scenario. We But we do need to be realistic here with the Drew Aller experience, okay? He might come in and be phenomenal. And if he is, that's awesome because that's what people expect. But I just don't, I don't fully buy into this notion that just because a quarterback has all kinds of hype uh, and expectations that he's just going to automatically live up to us. I, I don't buy into that at all. Here's why. A little background on me. Many of you know this for those who don't. I've covered minor league baseball for 27 years, 28 years. I'm actually not covering the Altoona curve this year any longer after 24 years. That's a decision I made uh, to spend more time with my family. But I've covered minor league baseball for the better part of three decades. All right. You know how many Drew Aller prospects I've seen come through minor league baseball? These can't miss guys. These guys that, oh, everybody can't wait to see. They're going to be superstars. You know how many of those guys I've seen who failed miserably? Dozens. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. Because baseball is the hardest sport in the world. And to try to project what a newcomer coming to double A is going to ultimately do is, uh, is staggeringly difficult. Yes, it worked out for Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole. No, it didn't work out for. John Van Benscoten, Brian Bullington, you know, a bunch of guys throughout history, throughout time, first round draft picks, early draft picks. Because I've covered minor league baseball for such a long time and I've seen so many of these can't miss guys fail, I'm very cynical. I'm very cynical about basically the label of the can't miss guy. The way I view sports is that until you prove it, until you show it, I'm going to question whether you can do it. That's my job, not only as a sports writer, but in covering minor league baseball, I, I, I you, you can have all the hype in the world. You come up and hit 210 with a 640 OPS, well, you're, you're going to fizzle in a hurry. Okay. So that's the background about me and why I think the way I think because of that minor league baseball background. Do I think Drew Aller can be a superstar? Absolutely, he can be. And I'm absolutely on record of saying in 2024, Penn State could contend for a college football push. You know, should be in the playoff, regardless, with a 12-team field, and could contend for a championship, maybe to win it all. Because the pieces, all the pieces will be in place, you would think, on both sides of the ball because of the great talent. But clearly... Drew Aller, you need a great quarterback to lead the way. And so, yes, I, I think that the expectations for the program should be extremely high. 
But does that necessarily mean they should be extremely high in 2024, like 11 and one beating Ohio State on the road in Columbus? Eh. Okay, let's slow down. As of right now, I've already seen a line where the Buckeyes are favored by 10 and a half points. That tells you Vegas doesn't think Penn State's even remotely close to to, to winning that caliber of game. So when I asked the question, and somebody else asked me, so I'm you know relaying along, are expectations a little too high? I think the inevitable answer is yes, because we don't know what we're going to see from Drew Aller. We can all sit here and think we're going to see greatness and consistency and 3,200 yards passing and 28 touchdowns and seven interceptions and a 67% completion percentage. He does all those things. Hell, Penn State might be in the playoff. But he's a first-year starting quarterback. He's never played, taken a meaningful snap in a game other than one series at Purdue when we think Sean Clifford had uh, to... <clears throat> Uh, take care of some business. <laughs> uh, so what can, what can we truly expect from Drew Aller? I think we can expect great play at times, very po- poor play at times, an incredible throw for a score, a terrible throw for an interception, some really good games of 375 yards, some really bad games of 175 yards and three picks. I think this is what we're going to see from a first-year starting quarterback. So when we take a look at the expectations of the overall team this year, I I mean, until he goes out and proves it against Big Ten caliber defenses, both home and especially on the road, we have to question that. Now, here's where I will take a step back, do kind of a 180, and say we uh, we are okay to have extremely high expectations, because it's not all just going to rest on Drew Aller. To, to go 10-2 and two or 11-1, and one, heck yeah, a whole lot of it's going to rest on Drew Aller. But you can also go 10-2 and two with a great, terrific offensive line, which we think they're going to have, knock on wood. Uh, great running game. Excellent tight ends. We'll see about the receivers. But a terrific defense led by you know two potential All-Americans, Kalen King and Abdul Carter. And Manny Diaz. So the expectations as a whole, Penn State can win. I think could could be able to win a lot of games or a number of difficult games, even if Drew Aller doesn't play great. If he doesn't have his best stuff, like a baseball pitcher, you know, you got to learn to win without your best stuff. If Drew Aller goes out and completes twenty of thirty eight for two oh four, a touchdown and an interception. Penn State can still win that game and might even be able to win that game comfortably depending on how the running game goes, depending on if the defense shows up and really shuts the door. And that's the kind of game you win 24 to 6, 24 to 9, whatever the case might be, give or take. So are expectations a little too high for the Penn State football team for this year? I, I do think that that very well could be the case. Are we justified in why we have? Very high expectations? Well, sure, because there are a lot of different pieces, a lot of elements in place in the program. And let's face it, the schedule isn't terribly tough. They go to Illinois in week three. Could be a difficult game. They've got Michigan home. They've got Ohio State on the road. They've got Iowa at home. That'll be the whiteout. So, yeah, 10-2 and two is certainly possible in the cards, maybe. Um 11 and 1 is possible. I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State on the road. Can they beat Michigan at home? Sure. Well, yeah, that's deep enough into the season in November. We'll know a whole lot more about Drew Aller by that point. Plus, hey, the guy's got to stay healthy. He, he's got to prove he can take a hit. 
keep playing. You know, Sean Clifford was a warrior. Trace McSorley was a warrior. He's going to get hit a lot. And he is a big dude, you know, so you would think he would be able to take it physically. But a lot of question marks. So, you know, as, as we sit here and we try to look ahead to the fall, it's great to think, oh, man, Penn State can do this and this and this and this and this. And it very well could. But until we see it on the field, I, I do think we we maybe have to take a little bit of a step back and say, hey, uh, let's let's let, let's hold off on expectations just a bit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh boy, we got a doozy of a question in the live cues this week about Pitt and Penn State and Pitt looking uphill at Penn State and the resources and all these kinds of things. The guy mentioned kid brother. Oh man, this is a discussion. We have it once or twice a year. You know, sometimes it comes up from people, especially slow times a year. I've covered Penn State football for 18 years now. I am viewed by Penn, by Pitt fans as a Penn State homer, which is hilarious to me because there are no Penn State fans out there that would think that I'm a Penn State homer. But Pitt fans seem to, because I'm associated with Penn State and cover Penn State, they, ah, Geiger's going to stick up for Penn State, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> when Penn State fans are always in the opposite camp of, Geiger's always going to trash Penn State. It, it, neither is true. Neither is true. <laughs> I always get a kick out of it. That means I'm doing my job whenever I'm pissing off people in, in both fan bases. All right, so, but the question, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. Uh, it's going to be a short segment here. But it is always a fascinating time. And there was some news about this this week that I'm going to address with, within this discussion. And it is, well, can Pitt ever catch up to Penn State with regards to resources and, and their place in college football? Uh, is Pitt always going to kind of be looking up at Penn State with regards to uh, certain elements uh, on the college football rung? Well, the answer is yes. Okay, the the answer is yes. Pitt is never going to have the resources that Penn State has in football. Not ever. Okay. Does that mean Pitt can't beat Penn State? Not at all. This is the discussion I always, this is my default. And I've talked about this on the radio in Central PA for the better part of 15 years because I've tried to give respect to both sides. Pitt can beat Penn State. This notion that that Penn State is big brother and they're always going to open up a can of whoop ass on little brother. That's false. Okay. We saw what happened when Michigan's Mike Hart called Michigan State little brother. Well, little brother has opened up a can of whoop ass on Michigan pretty much ever since then. Pitt can beat Penn State in football. Let's make that 
perfectly clear. In any given year, Pitt could beat Penn State, regardless of recruiting rankings, regardless of stadium size, regardless of resources, regardless of coaching rankings, coaching head salaries, money they get from TV contracts. Pitt can beat Penn State in any given year. They beat him in 2016, knocked Penn State out of a playoff. I think they would have beaten him in Kenny Pickett's last year, a couple years ago. All right, so... From a sheer football standpoint, this is what, you know, I think it upsets Pitt fans. They think Pitt, Penn State fans look down on them when from a competitive standpoint, Pitt can be in some, in, in a lot of situations, not every situation, not every, I would still give Penn State a 65 35 edge probably in any given year, but Pitt can win any given game. Sure. Okay. That's the football side. The off the field stuff. The relevance, the resources, the finances, it is not close. It will never be close. Pitt is Penn State's little brother. And if you're going to take offense to me calling that, I I don't mean it offensive with regards to really a, a, a total jab at Pitt. It is merely the fact that Penn State has so much going for it compared to almost everybody else. With a, with a handful of exceptions, most programs in this country are little brother to Penn State. Penn State has the second largest stadium in the Western Hemisphere, the fourth largest stadium in the world. Michigan Stadium is the only, only bigger one in the Western Hemisphere. You have the fourth largest stadium in the world. Your football program is worth, I think, $600 million. Pitt's football program is not worth anywhere near that. I don't know a figure off the top of my head. Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, they're worth a billion or more. So Penn State's place in the hierarchy of college football is substantially higher than Pitt from a relevance factor, from a fan base factor, from a from a resources and finances factor. It's just the way it is. I, if, if I'm offending any pit fans and saying that all I'm telling you is that two plus two equals four. Now, does, does any of that mean that pit fans look up to Penn state and feel slighted or left behind? No, I don't necessarily think that. I think pit fans probably a lot of super diehard pit fans would maybe love for all the all Pitt fans to be as passionate and uh, resourceful as Penn State fans, you know, I mean, Pitt plays in an NFL stadium. They're barely going to get fifty thousand unless they bring in a, a gigantic opponent. Penn State can get a hundred thousand playing anybody. Penn State, I wrote this, and this this angered some people. Penn State's never going to have a home and home series with Western Michigan or Buffalo. Pitt's been to Buffalo twice in the last fourteen years. They scheduled a home and home with Western Michigan. It's never going to happen. There's too much money involved at Penn State. You can get 100,000 fans playing anybody. Oh, but Geiger, Penn State's got a home-and-home with Temple. That's not. It's not a home-and-home with Temple. Penn State goes to Temple once every, I don't know, six, eight years. They go to Philly, play at the link. That's a home game for Penn State. 80 to 90% of the crowd will be Penn State fans. They do that to throw a bone to their fan base in Philly and Eastern PA. It's not. You can't compare Pitt playing a home-and-home with Western Michigan to Penn State going to Temple every now and then. It's just very different. So, I, I mean, look, like I said, Pitt, Pitt fans will say, oh, Geiger, of course you're going to say this. You cover Penn State. And Penn State fans will say, oh, Geiger, you're always trashing Penn State with questions like, are expectations too high? 
Hey, I can't win with either one of these fan bases. I'm just telling you how it is. In the round, uh, on the ladder of college football, Penn State is way higher than Pitt in terms of intangibles, resources, finances, relevance, fan base, alumni base, all of those things. Does that mean Penn State going to mop the floor with Pitt every time they play him? No. Pitt can beat Penn State. Pitt has beaten Penn State any given year. Now, will they play again? I, I have, I'm, I think that, look, they should play. It's, it's, it's cool. Gives us something to talk about. It's a good game, but I've always kind of been into the opinion that, Hey, Penn State can go get a hundred thousand fans playing anybody. If you're going to do a home and home with Pitt, you're kind of just helping Pitt out. Why, why does, why should Penn State help Pitt out? Letting them get a 75,000, uh, turnout at, 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 at Acrisure Stadium. You know, when, you know, if, if Pitt's playing Youngstown State or Western Michigan or somebody like that, that that's not going to help as much. So, uh, I'd like to see the game every year, but we're not going to see it. Now, this is the one element of this I do want to bring up that's new this week. And that's the ACC television contract deal and, and, and a lot of nervousness and, and, and concern about some of these ACC members, especially Clemson and Florida State getting left behind. And this includes Pitt. When you're talking about the Big Ten teams making 80 to 90 million dollars a year in TV revenue and you're making 40 and 50 million a year in TV revenue over the course of a 10 year period, that's half a billion dollars nearly, folks. So if you're Dabo Swinney, if you're Florida State, you're, you're definitely worried. Clemson and Florida State have, uh, extremely high aspirations and goals and great tradition. And if they're making 30, 40 million dollars a year less, it absolutely should be a concern to people there. Pitt is in a nice spot. Pitt was not chosen for the Big Ten. Uh, that would have been cool if Pitt and Syracuse would have gotten in there, but uh, that ship has sailed. Pitt can make it start its 40, 50 million dollars in TV revenue and, and do pretty well with that over, but Pitt's not in a, Pitt's not Clemson, Pitt's not Florida State. They don't have national championship aspirations. Sure, I know Pitt fans would love to win a national championship, but realistically, uh, you're not in the same discussion uh, with being a perennial college football playoff contender and maybe getting winning a national title. Not to say Pitt couldn't do it occasionally, every now and then, if everything falls right, but I'm talking about in terms... Pitt's happy getting $40, $50 million a year in TV money. Clemson is not. I saw a stat that Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt is going to get like $30 million more in TV than Clemson and Florida State. You damn well should, better should be worried about that if you're Clemson and Florida State in the ACC. And that's where I was having a discussion with a longtime uh, Penn State radio guy, Jed Donahue, the other day. I, hey, I give credence to people, Penn State fans who say maybe Penn State would have been better off in the ACC. I do think there's a lot of truth to that over time. Over a lot of years, could have been some cool rivalries, closer rivalries, more traditional rivalries in the ACC. I do think the Big Ten has somewhat treated Penn State like a redheaded stepchild uh, on occasion. And maybe Penn State might have been a little better off in the ACC at certain points in the past. When you take a look now at the financial differences and Penn State is in a conference that just signed a billion dollar a year TV rights package versus the ACC, where their two most prominent members are worried about their futures, but they can't go anywhere. The, who's going to go anywhere? The ACC rights package 
TV rights deals through 2036. Looks pretty ironclad. Teams leave, they're going to have to pay a hefty penalty and give up their rights for the next 13 years. So nobody's going anywhere. And I bring that up as part of this discussion simply as a reinforcement of Penn State's place on the college football rung is higher than Pitt's place. If you're making 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year more in your TV rights and you extrapolate that out over time, that that should be a concern to everybody in the ACC. To the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. It's it's late May as I'm recording this. I want to know how much do you pay attention to college football news right now and over the next say month or so? What's a, how 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 much do you follow it? How much are you interested in it? I, I look, I've covered college football for nearly two decades. I know this is a slower time of year. Unless there's, you know, anything regarding the transfer portal, which we will start to see some, some guys end up in certain places here, maybe in the next week or so. Uh, but traditionally this time of year, probably until maybe early July, uh, college football really goes on the back burner. We got the NBA finals now. If you follow that or, or the NBA playoffs going on, major league baseball is in full swing. I'd like to know just how much. How much you, you follow what you what you like to follow in college football at this time of year? If you're listening to this, post a comment. I, we don't get a lot of comments on these podcasts, and I get it. You're listening. Maybe you're listening somewhere else, and you're not necessarily around a, a keyboard. But if you hear this, post a comment on what kinds of things you like to pay attention to. You know, May and June in college football. I'll have. Couple stories a week, you know, here at DK Pittsburgh Sports. My plan is I'll do maybe one kind of overview news story, depending on what's happening. And then we'll have some depth chart stories, taking a look at various positions. I did the O line last week coming up here, uh, uh, maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'm not sure when I'm going to publish it. We'll have something on the, uh, on the wide receiver group, which is the biggest question mark in the program right now, not only for this year. But for next year as well, I, I'll go back to what I was talking about in the first segment about our expectations a little too high. I mean, hey, we can talk all we want about going 10 and 2, 11 and 1, making a run for a playoff berth, but you got to have really good receivers to be able to do that. So I'll address all of that, you know, in the story on, uh, on Sunday. But uh, again, just kind of closing up this podcast. What, what do you like to follow? What do you want to know about other than depth chart and, you know, transfer portal things. What do you like to read? What do you like to listen to? Any feedback I can get. Look, I, I try to keep this interactive. Uh, I'll try to write stories that I know people want to read or talk about things on the podcast that are a little bit different, kind of outside the box things because, hey, at this time of year, I'm in, I'm in full baseball mode, uh, myself. My, my boys playing for three different baseball teams. So we've got baseball going on every day. And, uh, yeah, I'm not, fully locked into every every single thing that's going on in college football at this time. 
So what do you what do you enjoy? What do you like to uh, focus on during this time? Again, I'll, I'll still have stories every week and uh, we'll have all the news here on the site. And I will I do you know plan to continue to have the We Are podcast every Sunday morning. But drop me a line, post it in the comments here. Shoot me an email, cgsports12 at aol.com, cgsports12 at aol.com. You can shoot me a message on Twitter. I'm easily contacted that way, direct message or what have you. But hey, folks, appreciate everybody for tuning in this week. And as always, if you have any comments here, uh, ask me a question and I'll I'll, uh, be sure to respond. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week.